our physiology predicts our psychology. Is it possible that by making our body more resilient, we can make our brain more resilient too? Intriguingly, something as simple as heat therapy may be able to do just that, and therefore may promote our mental health. Tune in for all the details only here on the People Scientist Podcast. listening to The People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on neuroscience, physiology, and nutrition. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking, to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast for episode 55. Here on the People Scientist Podcast, it is my goal that every week I share some scientific evidence with all of us so that we can all lead the healthy lives we want to live. I cover topics based on my areas of expertise, meaning areas that I have my degrees in, so that I know I'm giving you the correct information. So I cover topics on nutrition, physiology, or our bodies, and on neuroscience, or our brain. As of late, I've been covering topics on things we can do while at home that can promote our mental health and well-being. There's a topic that has been requested several times, actually, since I began this podcast, and that is about heat as a therapy to promote mental health. As I began researching this topic, it became even more fascinating to me how temperature and our brain and mood are all so interconnected. I drew some conclusions here too that I'm not sure anyone else has before, so I hope that you find this episode as cool and intriguing as I did. So as we always do, let's start off with some core takeaways. Resilience is an important determinant of depression and anxiety, meaning if we are not resilient, we are more likely to develop mood disorders. And in times like this of global hardship, resilience really is key. But how does one develop resilience? Well, it can be achieved through mild environmental stressors. Resilience is based on the simple concept of, well, I went through something tough, so now everything by comparison will be much easier, and I feel like I can handle it now. So we can either have mild stressors psychologically, like a demanding exam, an arduous work shift, or a lot of work to meet a short deadline in a short amount of time. But we can also have physiological stressors, meaning stressing our body. For example, exercise and temperature can be physiological stressors. And heat therapy is an example of that. So the concept that heat as a mild stress may promote our physiological resilience is a topic as of late. What is fascinating to me is if we promote our body's resilience, we may also in turn promote our psychological or emotional resilience. So what does this boil down to? Well, using the sauna, having a hot bath, a hot shower, doing hot yoga in a heated room, or having a cold adapted shower regularly 
may promote the resilience of our body and therefore the resilience of our mind. In today's episode, I will explain how heat causes adaptations to particular circuits and proteins in our brain, which could be the possible mechanism by which the heat therapy could promote resilience and therefore mental health. So if I had to simplify, I would say that the same brain region that regulates our body's temperature also happens to regulate our stress response. And this brain region has been implicated in anxiety and depression because of the stress response effect it has. But if we apply outside heat, for example, by sauna use or taking a hot bath or a hot shower, it tells that particular brain region, hey, you can stop producing heat because we have heat already. And as a result, that inhibits that brain region. But interestingly, because that brain region also regulates stress, it also seems to inhibit the stress response. And because it inhibits the stress response, it could have potential benefits to anxiety and depression. So now, let's get into the details. Heat therapy can include using a sauna, taking a hot bath, taking a hot shower, doing hot yoga in a heated room, for example, or even a cold-adapted shower. Scientists have gone into the neurobiology and molecular investigation as to why and how heat may have such a benefit to us in our mental health. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention some of Laukinen's work, as he is a big proponent of sauna use and its potential benefits to health. He and others wrote a review on this topic in 2018 in the journal Mayo Clinic Proceedings. They noted that sauna bathing, which is characterized by exposure to high temperatures for a brief period of time, has traditionally been used for the purposes of pleasure and relaxation. Now, how our body responds to the heat from a sauna, interestingly, has a lot of similarities to how our body responds to exercise. For example, we can respond by having an increased heart rate, increased blood flow to the skin, increased breathing, and sweating. Now, later on in this episode, I will also draw an interesting connection between exercise and heat therapy due to their similar impact on the brain as well. In clinical trials, sauna use ranged from 5 to 20 minutes a day, two to seven times a week. Now, in this review, the scientists report long-term follow-up of more than 25 years to track sauna usage and health outcomes in thousands of people. The scientists in particular were interested in heart disease and noted that sudden cardiac death, which can be linked to stress, was different in sauna users versus non-sauna users. It was reported that for individuals that use the sauna four to seven times a week, their risk for sudden cardiac death was dramatically lower versus those who use the sauna less than or equal to once per week. Now, dramatically lower meaning one-half to one-third the risk of non-sauna users. But there were benefits even seen for two to three times a week of sauna use as well. So that is a fairly dramatic correlation observed with great potential impact on health for sauna use. But what about the impact on the brain? Well, a couple of clinical trials aimed to see which brain regions were recruited using functional MRI during heat treatment. Unfortunately, while in the fMRI scanner, they couldn't do whole-body heat therapy, so they did a heat therapy to the hand of either 41 or 46 degrees Celsius. The scientists noted that certain brain regions responded to this. There was a decrease to the recruitment of the amygdala and hypothalamus in the brain while the nucleus accumbens was increasingly recruited. Now, these findings are really intriguing. 
because of what these brain regions regulate. The amygdala is generalized to regulate fear and emotions. The hypothalamus regulates a lot of things, like temperature, but in particular, it also has an important role in our stress response. So here, the fact that these two brain regions were less recruited during heat treatment suggests that it could reduce stress and negative emotion. Second, the nucleus accumbens is very well characterized in regard to controlling pleasure, reward, and motivation. A lot of pleasurable things in our life activate this brain region, like social interaction, exercise, music, sugar, alcohol, and unfortunately, so do addictive drugs. The fact that this brain region, the nucleus accumbens, was recruited in response to a heat therapy treatment of 46 degrees Celsius tells me that heat may increase pleasure by recruiting this brain region, just like a lot of other things in our life. So this trial gives us the first insight into heat therapy and the regions in our brain it may act upon. But how else can heat impact our brain and mental health? In the European Journal of Epidemiology, a clear inverse association was observed between the frequency of weekly sauna use and levels of chronic inflammation, as indicated by blood levels of C-reactive protein. So meaning the more frequently someone used the sauna, the more likely they were to have lower levels of inflammation in their body. And this is really important, as we have known for a long time that there is a connection between inflammation and depression. We know that inflammation can increase the risk for depression and depressive-like feelings. Now, if you recall back in episode 25 and episode 7, I go into great detail on how inflammation in our body and brain can increase the risk for feelings of depression. So if you haven't heard that episode yet, I encourage you to give them a listen because it will provide a really good background for today's episode. But very briefly, inflammation can change how our brain metabolizes and produces certain neurotransmitters that are involved in the activity of certain brain regions and our mood. It appears that inflammation can increase the production of some molecules called kynurenine and quinolinic acid in our brain, which may lead to excitotoxicity or toxic effects to the neurons in our brain, and this is considered very bad. Inflammation can also reduce levels of serotonin, which is an important neurotransmitter that regulates our mood. Now, serotonin regulates our mood because this neurotransmitter can impact the activity of emotional brain regions like the amygdala and the raphe nucleus. So if regular heat therapy by sauna use can lower inflammation, that is a potential mechanism by which it could promote the homeostasis of our brain and therefore mental well-being. But is there another connection between heat and inflammation? Well, inflammation may lead to increased heat production, like in the instance of infection. Have you ever sprained a finger, ankle, or cut yourself and the cut became infected? Well, typically the body's response is to cause swelling, redness, pain, and heat are generated as part of that inflammatory reaction. The area of the injury or infection will likely feel warm as a result. It is thought that heat is generated as part of that inflammatory response in order to make the environment around that injury less favorable to pathogen growth, meaning less favorable to virus and bacterial infections. That's also why we generate a fever when we are sick. The heat that our body produces is supposed to help fight the infection. What is fascinating to me is that we have thought for decades that there is a connection between body temperature and depression. Several studies have reported that individuals living with depression may have a higher body temperature than those without depression. 
Now, this was shown in some small cohorts, for example, by Aver in 2007, Alsenja in 1988. And in fact, there was a case study by Plug in 1976, in which they followed a young woman with bipolar disorder. They had her measure her body temperature every three hours daily to determine if her depressive and manic episodes were related to body temperature. And they did indeed note that her body temperature rose during days of depressive feelings versus other days. As a result, many scientists since have concluded that there could be circadian rhythm and temperature disturbances during depressive episodes or in depression. But why might body temperature rise in depression? This is a really interesting question. And it could be related to the inflammatory response or elevated inflammatory levels. But I think it's more likely to be related to a stress response, which is regulated by a particular axis in our brain called the hypothalamic-pituitary-adrenal axis, or for short, it's called the HPA axis. This axis involves the hypothalamus of our brain, the pituitary gland, and our adrenal glands, which sit just right above our kidneys. This axis regulates our, our stress response, and also, intriguingly, regulates our body temperature. So that is the first connection between our brain and body temperature and stress is that hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis or the HPA axis. Now this axis is very important to discuss for today's episode both because of how temperature affects this axis and how this axis affects our mood. Now in 2017 in the journal Psychoneuroendocrinology, the scientists concluded in individuals living with depression, they are more likely to have a higher activity of this HPA axis in their brain, thus partially explaining their symptoms of anxiety and depression as this axis increases the stress response. So those living with depression may have a higher activity of this axis. But this could also explain why individuals with depression may also have slightly higher body temperatures during particularly low mood episodes because the hypothalamus also regulates body temperature. But here's where the good news comes in. Barden wrote a great review in 2014 on the HP axis and depression. Now, in order for us to adapt and become more resilient, this HPA axis has to also adapt. And essentially, this axis in our brain has to inhibit itself. This is called a negative feedback loop. So let me repeat that to reinforce that thought because I think it's really important. In order for us to be more resilient and less likely to develop depression, Our HPA axis has to adapt and learn to inhibit itself. So how do we do that? Well, this is dependent on two things, the glucocorticoid receptor and heat shock proteins 90 and 70. Ah, did a light bulb go off when I said heat shock protein? This is where heat comes into play. A review by Helnonen in 2018 discusses how regular heat therapy can cause adaptations to our body, that increases our heat tolerance and thus makes us more physiologically resilient. I mean, that is another definition of resilience, that we have a greater tolerance to stressors. And remember in the beginning of the episode, I said how our body's resilience might be able to make us more psychologically resilient. Well, heat shock shock proteins are part of that adaptation or that ability to be resilient. These heat shock proteins exist throughout our body and are upregulated in response to heat stress. Their job is to stabilize things in our body during heat. Now, because heat shock proteins are necessary to regulate the normal activity of the HPA axis, it is thought that the reason why heat therapy may reduce depression, anxiety, and stress is because of the role heat shock proteins have on the negative feedback loop of the HPA axis. 
If I had to simplify it further, I would say heat therapy may help normalize our stress axis in our brain and therefore benefit our mood because those heat shock proteins are necessary in order to couple to the glucocorticoid receptors and to have that negative feedback loop and to inhibit that HPA axis. So heat therapy can benefit our mood by reducing the activity of that HPA axis. Luckily, we know of other things that can help our HPA axis normalize, and that includes exercise. In Psychoneuroendocrinology in 2015, a great review was written on how exercise buffers stress by promoting that negative feedback loop on the HPA axis. This is one of the reasons why some people say that heat therapy has similarities to exercise, as I mentioned earlier in the episode. Because heat therapy and exercise are both mild stressors that beneficially impact that stress circuit in our brain. So that brings me back to the beginning of the episode where I said mild physiological stressors may promote psychological resilience. And that is because of their impact on the HPA axis. So it begs the question, are there any risks to heat therapy? And I think it's always important to mention the limitations to these things. And I would say in regard to sauna use, certain groups of individuals should use caution with sauna use such as individuals with unstable angina, recent heart attack, uncontrolled high blood pressure, heart failure, or those living with severe aortic stenosis, as well as people with low blood pressure, particularly if they have low blood pressure upon standing, or if they live with severe valve disease. They should also use caution during sauna bath use because of the possible sudden decrease in blood pressure that is seen with sauna use, particularly in the recovery period observed after a sauna session. So what can we do if we want to test this theory out on ourselves? Well, if we have access to a sauna, we could try slowly using it by starting with 5 minutes and working our way up to 20 minutes, which Laukinen showed had great benefit to heart disease outcomes. We can do hot yoga in a heated room that typically ranges from 32 to 40 40 degrees Celsius. Or we can take a hot bath, a hot shower, or even a cold adapted shower. Now, I've alluded to this idea of a cold-adapted shower, so let me go into a little bit more detail. Shevchuk in 2008 described the potential of cold and heat therapy as a way to normalize the HPA access. This report was just a pilot study with a small number of people, but the protocol included a shower with cooler water at about 20 degrees Celsius for two to three minutes, followed by five minutes of slowly, gradually increasing the temperature to hot and comfortability. And this variation in temperature could repeat could be repeated a couple of times over. Now, the theory is switching between cold and hot water is even more of a physiological stress, which again could have an impact on the HPA axis. But again, if you are at risk, as I mentioned before, this may not be appropriate for you, and I suggest to always consult, consult your physician first. So that is a wrap, my people scientist army. This week I talked about the neuroscience of heat therapy and how it could promote our mental health. The reason why heat therapy may elevate our mood is because it is a mild physiological stressor that may promote our ability to be resilient. Heat therapy changes the activity of a particular circuit called the HPA axis. This axis tends to be dysregulated and hyperactive in mood disorders like anxiety and depression. This can be evidenced, for example, by higher cortisol levels and higher body temperatures in individuals living with depression. But there are ways to help normalize the HPA axis. That includes heat therapy and exercise. The reason being is 
heat therapy and exercise promote heat shock protein levels, which therefore promote the self-inhibition of the HPA axis. So simply put, instead of this stress circuit thinking it has to make our body produce heat, we instead expose our body to heat, which will cause the brain circuit to inhibit itself. When it inhibits itself, it also happens to reduce our stressful feelings that are implicated in causing anxiety and depression. But beside the effects of heat on the HPA axis, heat therapy also seems to impact other parts of our brain involved in pleasure, reward, and emotion. So while we are at home, in particular during this quarantine right now, and perhaps feeling our mental health decline, adding heat therapy and exercise into our routine may have some beneficial impact on our mental well-being. I know for me personally, after a long day of work, I look forward to a hot shower or a cold adapted shower and how it makes me feel better after a long day. In fact, Matthew Walker, a well-known sleep scientist, says that before bed, a warm or hot shower can reduce our core temperature as it causes the blood to flow to our skin surface, so reduces the, the core temperature. And this can also aid in better sleep. So perhaps this is something that we can add to our daily routine to promote routine as well as better mental health. So I hope that this information was helpful and informative for all of you. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to me on any of my social media platforms. And make sure to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn for some extra tidbits of information on the week's topic and to get some insight into my life as a scientist. I would say that I'm most active on Instagram because I really like using the story features as well. If you have a choice, Instagram is probably the best one. And also, if you haven't yet rated or, or reviewed my podcast, then please take a moment to do so. It would mean a lot to me. Because if you are enjoying the podcast, leaving a rating will let other people know that giving it a listen is worth their time. And I know the majority of you listen on Apple Podcasts, and on the app, it is really easy to click the stars to let me know what you think. So I hope that you all stay healthy and happy this week, and I look forward to sharing some scientific thoughts with all of you next Sunday. So I will meet you back here the same time and the same place next week on the People Scientist Podcast. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates. Thank you.